This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey, welcome back. Another edition of the Disability Law Show. So good to have you tuned into the show today. Plenty to get through. By the way, you can contribute to the show. And how do you do that? You send us an email or something off mydisabilityquestions.com. But the email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. As I just mentioned, mydisabilityquestions.com. On the show today, as always, co-founding partner, Sam Fury-Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, Savannah Tamarkin, and partner from the West Coast, that would be our good pal, Martin Willems. I know you guys are uh, champing at the bit to get into some of these emails, so we're going to skip even doing a week that was. We're going to get right into these because we've got a, a healthy pile. This one from Mary, guys. I don't know who's going to answer this first, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. Mary says, hi, guys. Hello. Thanks for this great service. I was granted LTD this year, going back to last year. They have sent me up with a back-to-work motive psychologist. She has my information and asks if I was motivated to work. I said yes, but unable to at this point. She also said she was working for me, not the insurance company. She said the insurance company hired the company she works for. Can I be open with her? She said some items could be off the record. Thanks, says Mary. Wow, what does that all mean? That's uh, that's interesting, uh, Martin. If you don't mind, I'll give some some thoughts, and I'm sure you'll pick it up. Um, By all means. Yeah. First of all, I, motive psychologist. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Uh, I understand what this person is uh, was hired to do, uh, but let's break this down because it is a topic we've talked about before. Look, the insurance company has an incentive to get you back to work. And the incentive is that if you are able to go back to work, they can stop paying you long-term disability payments. Uh, so it's very common for them to refer you to clinics, to refer you to treatment providers for the purpose of trying to help you get back to work. What we've talked about before is this issue that comes up, which is that if the insurance company has hand-selected, hand-picked the psychologist, the chiropractor, the physiotherapist, whoever it is that they've hand-picked to help you, those individuals who are helping you, they may be the best you know, treatment providers out there. However, you have to consider the fact that they are being paid by the insurance company. And so in my mind, at least, there is this conflict that arises, or at least a perceived conflict. If the psychologist uh, or their company was hired by the insurance company to help you, they may very well try to help you, but they also have potentially an incentive to make the insurance company happy. And, And where we typically see that you know, coming to the fore and, you know, not necessarily working in the best interest of disabled individuals is when a few months or maybe even a year or two down the road, the insurance company asks the psychologist or whoever the treatment provider is, you know, how is this person doing? Are they able to go back to work? Are they able to try a return to work plan? And and then you have a situation, and I've seen this many times before, I'm sure Martin has as well, where the treatment provider provides an opinion that again makes the insurance company happy, which is to say that they say that, yeah, this person is now able to or has gotten to a point where we believe is able to go back to work or try to go back to work. And where we've seen this happen or clash is when the individual then contacts us and says, wait a second, I'm not ready to go back. My family doctor says I'm not ready to go back. Why is the psychologist saying that I'm able to go back to work when I am actually not ready? Even though the person says, well, the psychologist has been helping me. 
Well, you got to think to yourself, maybe the reason is because a psychologist or the chiropractor, whoever it is you're going to, maybe they have that incentive, right, in the back of their minds to make the insurance company happy because the insurance company is not going to be happy if they have to keep paying you long-term disability benefits. So again, I'm not saying this happens every time, but I do tell people that if you do need psychological help, if you do need physiotherapy, if you do need some treatments, rather they're going to whoever the insurance company sends you to, whoever that hand-picked individual is or clinic is, Get a referral from your own family doctor, or if you know of a clinic, uh, let's say you've you've gone to to a, a clinic that provides you know physiotherapy, massage, etc. Just keep going to them if you like them, if they're helping you, rather than going to whoever the insurance company told you to go to. Again, not because those individuals the insurance company is sending you to are not good; they may be very good, but there is that potential conflict there that they want to keep getting work from the insurance company. They want the insurance company to continue telling people to go to them. Uh, and, and so to do that, they want to give the insurance company that incentive. And that incentive is to help the insurance company get rid of you, if you think about that, as soon as possible. So that's the concern here. And, and my advice to Mary here, right? she's asking, can I be absolutely open uh, with psychologists? Look, psychologists are, are licensed uh, professionals. Uh, you know, just like with a doctor or a lawyer, there is confidentiality. You know, I don't know who the psychologist is, but let's assume for a second that this person does everything by the book. I do believe that if the psychologist is in fact telling this lady that, you know, this is going to be confidential, I don't know about this off the record thing, but confidential, I believe the psychologist will in fact keep things confidential if she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. But that does not mean that down the road she's not going to produce a report or a letter or an opinion that favors the insurance company's interests over yours. That's where my concern would be here. Martin, any any thoughts on this? I'm sure you've seen this as well. I've seen it many times. And you know what? I think you did such a great job in laying um, the situation out there and what the options are. I have seen, and I just want to step back for a moment because we're dealing with disability claims. Um, this is a mental health issue. So on the one end, there is a duty on the part of the person making the claim to engage in proper treatment. And on the other end, there's an insurance company who is paying benefits, but whose goal and motive, their motivation is to get the person off claims so that they don't have to pay them any longer. Is there anything wrong with that? Ultimately, no, but how far do you push things? So you do have to engage in treatment and the insurance company wants to see whether you're going to get better or not. So when I see these cases, I often see the insurance company access rehabilitation program clauses in their policies, and that is what this is. So the insurance company is hiring a psychologist and quite often they work through companies with who contract with the insurance company, as Sivan says, uh, to get the person off claim and back to work. Uh, what they quite often do as well is they do what is called a cost-benefit analysis. So they would see how much is it going to cost them to keep the person on claim, in other words, to pay them monthly benefits, versus if they funded 10 sessions of treatment. Because they don't have a duty to fund the treatment, People quite often ask me, why does the insurance company not pay for my treatment? They don't have to. They will only do so if it is in their interest. And what I mean by that is their interest is they're going to fund that treatment with an expectation that by the end of those 10 sessions of counseling for, or whatever else it is that, that they would be funding, that there is going to be some form of an opinion that the person who made the claim 
is now ready to return to some form of work or at least engage in a graduated return to work. So there definitely is an expectation that when they do this cost-benefit analysis, is it beneficial to them cost-wise to send the person through this program because the expectation is by the end of those 10 sessions, they're going to deny the claim and the person is now ready to return to work. I've seen situations where, and it's, it's almost always in mental health cases, where the person does need counseling. It's a specific form of counseling that is required and the insurance company jumps on it and then has a psychologist provide treatment. But the focus of the treatment is return to work focused where it may not be cognitive behavioral therapy that is required to deal with the issues, but more so to make the person work ready to return to work. So there's a conflict there as well. Again, it doesn't happen in all cases, but there definitely is a motivation on the one end that may be contradictory to what is required at the other end. So I 100% agree with Sivan. Always have your doctors involved. Have them comment on your work readiness if that is the term that we should use and while this treatment is in place while you are attending a psychologist continue to see your doctor and report to your doctor as to how things are going when it comes to the question is do you are you open with a psychologist um, first of all you have to be comfortable with the person right because it is a very personal thing that is being discussed it is your mental health so if there is no rapport it's going to be very difficult to be open, but ultimately for treatment to be effective, one would expect there to be an openness, but I suppose it's a fact-by-fact fact analysis. But it's a very good question. Thank you for that, Mary. Mary, appreciate the time, and here's the uh, number to call out uh, as well. Anytime, one 821 5900 Let's uh, let's keep going, guys. Again, a uh, busy day for, uh, for emails and correspondence. Any other time, too, you want quick, uh, easy to read, uh, notations on LTD. Many different topics covered. Click the boxes. You'll get a drop-down menu, really simple to use, called ltdfaq.ca. Um, to Mary, I agree with everything that Martin says. I, I do want to just put out a, a general uh, piece of advice out there, which is whether you are referred to uh, a treatment health provider, psychologist, again, physiotherapist, doctor, whatever, by the insurance company or even from your own doctor as a referral from your own doctor, ultimately you need to be you need to be um, um, comfortable with that person. And, and so for Mary here, if at any point during the treatments she feels uncomfortable or she feels that you know the the uh, spidey sense is tingling, you know there are some red flags. Immediately, immediately do something about it. Don't simply proceed with it, you know, as usual. So, so the point is that once you start these treatments, even if it's with whoever it is the insurance company handpicked to help you, I put that in quotes. Uh, so long as that person is helping you and you feel that they're helping you, continue doing the treatments. But if at any point you feel uncomfortable, you have the right to switch providers. You don't have to stay with them. So, you know, to Martin's point, if you have 10 sessions, you know, that you are uh, undergoing, for example, and then session number five, you start feeling, be, you know, being pressured or you, or you feel just uncomfortable in any way, you have a right to switch. You should continue doing treatments, but you don't have to do treatments with a particular person. You can switch people. That's my point. Right, right, right. Let's take a short break, guys. Uh, again, if you want to uh, chime in any time, you can do so. How do you do that? Uh, email to get it on the show, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number to reach out to Sivan or Martin or the respective teams anytime, one 821 
5,900 short break. Get back into some more emails, and we'll get to that uh, after the break. Disability Law Show continues. Hang on. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hey, hey welcome back. Disability Law Show. John Scholes here. And uh, on either side, Savannah Tamark and, of course, and Martin Willems. You want to reach out to the fellows anytime and get a hold of their crew. Talk to them personally and discuss your matter with a lengthier conversation in private and easy. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address we're using today. Again, on the show, the email bag is piling up, so we're going to get through as many of these as possible. Yours may end up on the show later on as well if you want to send one in anonymously or otherwise. It says, good afternoon, guys. I'm a municipal employee and I'm going to be on short-term, I am on short-term disability since April of this year. From today, I will be on long-term disability. Now, I did receive an email from my case manager of the insurance company with the following contents. It says, hi, I am the case manager on your file. Uh, so-and-so took care of your claim when I was on vacation. There are disability benefits under CPP that I will be requesting you apply for. A package will be sent to you in the next month. Please call me so that I can explain. Let me know if you have any questions or concerns. So, obviously, the CPP portion is what they're wondering about, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I that's an interesting question. Uh, we deal with policies in the context that these are contracts, Right. And the contract has rights and provisions and certain offsets, if, if we could call it that, that the insurance company is allowed to deduct from the benefit amount if the person is eligible for it. And this has been an ongoing discussion at our firm with respect to the wording of the specific provisions in each policy. Can the insurance company insist that a person applies for CPP disability benefits? And if they don't, what are the ramifications? What is interesting here is that this lady has now applied for short-term disability benefits and is going on to long-term disability benefits, which would mean that she has to prove that she is unable to perform the duties of her own occupation. Not yet any occupation. That will only come in later probably in about two years. And that's generally when you do see that insurance companies start to push people to apply for CPP disability benefits Mm -hmm. if we're starting to consider whether they're unable to perform the duties of any other occupation. You do not often see this happening so early in a claim where a person is applying for disability benefits under the long-term provisions and is right at the beginning of it. So the fact that they're pushing for CPP application now, um, you know, maybe they're seeing that this is going to be a prolonged thing. Maybe they're seeing that there is not going to be a return to work in any occupation. I know that it is a cancer diagnosis. I'm not quite sure what the extent of that is or what the prognosis for a return to work is, but maybe there's something in that file that shows the insurance company at least that the person is maybe not going to go back to work. Now, the question is, Does she apply for CPP disability benefits? And again, it goes back to the contract. It is something that we would like to review because generally, yes, under a group policy, you are required to apply for CPP disability benefits. And if you do not, most policies do provide that the insurance company can then estimate an amount and deduct it even if you do not apply, which is concerning. 
right? So the CPP disability benefit, there's a whole nother discussion there because your, your benefit amount with the insurance company may be non-taxable, whereas a CPP disability benefit is taxable. And obviously that doesn't sit right, losing some money there. Um, but the question is, does she apply? I would, again, go back to, I'd like to review the policy, maybe get a bit better understanding as to what is happening here and why it is that the insurance company is pushing for an application so early in the process. Because now, she just has to prove that she's unable to perform the duties of her own occupation, where the CPP uh, disability criteria is entirely, or entirely different, which is you have to have a condition that is severe and prolonged yeah. to the extent that it prevents you from engaging in any gainful occupation, which really fits with the any occupation phase definition in a long-term disability policy. So more information needs to be teased out here. I would love to have a discussion with this person. Sivan, I'm not sure if you've seen um, application where the insurance company is pushing the insurance, the, the claimant to apply for CPP disability benefits so early in the process. It is definitely unusual, and uh, I, I'll tell you, we're dealing with with a cancer diagnosis here, and I can tell you f that I have had this, you know, on on a personal level. Uh, my mother was diagnosed with cancer, with lung cancer, that she ended up passing away from 17 years ago, and I remember her applying for LTD back then, and and so I'm putting myself back in, at that time, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, could she have gone back to work? Um, had she recovered? And I'm not sure that she could have. And so w when I'm looking at the scenario, you're right, Martin, we're, we're missing a lot of information here. I'm thinking, why is the insurance company asking this person to apply for CPP disability at the initial stage of LTD, uh, as opposed to two years later when we typically see uh, these kinds of requests? Now, it could be an overzealous uh, case manager, somebody who's just trying to save the insurance company money, maybe get some bonus points with their managers. It's possible. Who knows? The question is whether or not uh, this individual is obligated to, in fact, apply for CPP disability at that point. Remember, remember that if this person applies for CPP disability and gets it, it means the government has now deemed that person severely disabled and for that disability to be of a prolonged nature. And so that will arguably make it even more difficult for the insurance company to stop paying that person long-term disability benefits down the road. And, and so I'm thinking, why would the insurance company do that? Why would they want you know, potentially there to be a ruling by the government, a positive ruling, meaning to say, yes, you do qualify for CPP disability, if that will potentially make it more difficult for them to cut this person down the road from LTD? Because that's what they do. They try to cut people off. Uh, so the only reason I can see, other than having an overzealous adjuster here, case manager, who's trying to save money for the insurance company, uh, is that they don't think this person will potentially recover, uh, that they think that this person, uh, you know, may not survive the cancer. And so, you know, they're thinking, well, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, two years down the road, we have to look at whether or not we continue their benefits or not, because that person may not be here. Now, the reason I'm saying this, and I'm, it's, you know, it's morbid to do this analysis, is because I'm trying to figure out why would the insurance company ask you to do this in the first place? Uh, I, I guess the question is, the ultimate question is, do you have to, in fact, apply for CPP disability? Martin's correct, 100%. You have to look at the contract and whether or not the contract obligates you. But I, I, I'm going to suggest that there is also a practical uh, element here. Let's say that the contract does not necessarily speak to this or does not say that 
you know, you don't need to apply for CPP disability. Let's say there's no positive obligation, okay? Uh, what happens if she says no, this, this lady? I'm assuming it's a lady. It could be a, a gentleman, perhaps. But what happens if that person says to the adjuster, no, I'm not going to apply for CPP disability. I'm not seeing anywhere in my policy that obligates me to do so. There is a possibility here. There is a possibility that the insurance company will do what they often do when they ask you to apply for CPP disability and you say no, which is to estimate or guesstimate how much they think you ought to be receiving for CPP disability and then reducing your LTD payments accordingly. So if they think that you should be getting $1,000 a month from CPP disability, uh, and of course they get a credit for that if you do in fact apply and get it, they may end up saying, okay, well, we told you to apply. You said no. We believe that we have the right to ask you for it. You haven't done so, so we're going to then reduce your monthly LTD payments by that $1,000. Now, at that point, if the insurance company, uh, if the policy doesn't, in fact, allow them to take that position, you know, we can consider that policy, that contract breached, and we can go after the insurance company. But the question is, practically speaking, do you want to do that? Martin, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but, you know, I think we're always looking at the contract, which is the correct way of looking at it, but there is that practical reality of what will happen if she says or he says, no, I will not apply, and are you prepared to then fight the insurance company, you as being the individual who wrote to us, on that issue? Or does it simply make sense to apply for CPP disability? What 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 are your thoughts on that? You know, it's a, it, it, it is a tough one because when you're in that position, of having to apply for disability benefits, you're receiving your monthly benefits. Now, now you're beholden to the insurance company to do what they want you to do. Otherwise, if you don't, then you may lose your money. And yes, you could fight it, but how long is that fight gonna take? It's a difficult, difficult position to be in. And ultimately, when an insurance company is pushing you, and again, it's so early in the process, it's always also to their benefit, right? Because they get to discount or you know offset the disability amount that you get from Service Canada for CPP from the LTD benefit. So it's financially in their interest to do it this early on, and you're going going back to the diagnosis again. That, so that's probably what is happening here. But do does a person say, I'm not going to apply? I mean, there may be policy wording in there that would you know support your position, but the question, and you, you're putting it perfectly, Saban, is what happens then? Because then you're in a position where you now have to fight that fight and it's a difficult position to be in because you're the person wanting that money to be paid to you because you need it to survive. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call, guys. It's a, it's an interesting discussion always about CPP. People know so little about that when it comes to LTD, but always reaching out to you guys is the uh, the correct answer for sure. And to do that, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. If you guys are done with that one, we got uh, an email from Henry. If you guys are ready to tackle this sucker, we'll try to get to most of it anyway. You guys ready yeah. to go? Oh, yeah. okay. Let's do it. Cool. All right. Henry writes in and says, hey, guys, I've been uh, receiving LTD disability, long-term disability for the last seven years. Recently, my LTD insurance asked if they can look into my personal accounts, asking me to sign a form allowing them to do so. LTD insurance notify me uh, if I profit from a sale of a property, they have the right to stop my LTD payments. They indicated to me that it is an income. I'm puzzled and confused. Can they do this? What does my personal property, uh, if I'm downsizing because I cannot afford to keep my property, what does this have to do with my LTD benefits? It's quite stressful being disabled, trying to downsize, then being told I'm profiting from a sale of property or of an, or of an inheritance. They can refuse to pay my benefits. Can they do this? Wow. 
<laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, <laughs> Martin, how many times have we dealt with questions uh, from individuals out there? And, and by the way, I mean, you can just sense the anxiety here. I mean, we're laughing because not not at, not at Henry in any way, but you know, at, at the 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 just insane uh, chutzpah, let's say, that the insurance company has in in saying something like this. And remember that when we're dealing with an insurance company. You're really dealing with people, okay? We're not dealing with this billion-dollar entity. Yes, they're behind the adjuster, but many of these adjusters, you know, their education and experience is fairly limited. They have a gazillion cases on the go. Their job, their their main job, is to save their their overlords' money. You know, the insurance company, the the uh, higher ups, the shareholders, etc. Uh, but, and I'm sure Martin's going to say this, so I'm going to take, uh, you know, I'm going to steal his thunder. It comes down to what the policy says. If they say that this is, first of all, this is not income, but if they say it's income, they need to show you where in the policy it says that. Okay. Where does it define income? Where the like, income is when you're earning money, not on a sale of a property that you've just had to downsize. Income is when you're working. Income is when maybe you switch jobs. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe even the stock market, you know, if you're doing that, uh, you know, to earn money. That's, I can see that as being income again, depending on what the policy says. But just because you have, you know, downsized, you know, you've made money from them. Maybe the, the market's good, but it's not, it's not your job. It's not work. Uh, you know, you haven't earned that as income. I mean, let, let, let me ask this. Let me, let me position different to you. Are you going to, are you going to, are you going to put this on your tax return, Henry? Are you going to say this is income? Right. Yeah. I can't see you saying that, that it's income because it's not income. Uh, but again, insurance companies are going to try and do everything they can to minimize what they have to pay you. If they can stop your payments, they will. This is something I would fight tooth and nail on. I'm sure I'm, we're about to go on a break, John, but I think we come back. Let's get Martin's thoughts. But I, I'm not surprised at this. I've seen so many attempts by insurance companies to grab money when they should not, and people just don't know, and it puts them in a very difficult situation, which is why they call us. And we'll pick it up after the break for sure and move on to some more emails. In the meantime, send one along. Please contribute to the show anytime. Help at disabilityrights.ca, number one 821 as well. We'll continue more Disability Law Show is coming up. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Yeah, we're back. Disability Law Show. Thank you so much for hanging in. John Scholes, Martin Willems, Savannah Tamarkin, all on the show today, taking care of your questions, concerns, reaching out afterwards, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, and another option, free and anonymous way to ask questions anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. Guys, we were like, nobody can see this. We can't even see each other because we're doing this on radio, but we're shaking our heads at this this, this last email about, uh, you know, looking into to profiting from uh, from a sale of a, a property and, and distra- you know, taking that away from the LTD. It's causing Henry a lot of stress. What uh, what do you say about that, Martin? Well, uh, thank you, Henry, for sending in that question. Uh, you know, during the break, we were actually laughing about saying, that, is, this even a, is this even a real question? But the sad reality is it's not funny. And uh, yes, it is a real question. So what bothers me, not just the fact that they're even taking this position, is that they're saying to Henry that they want to look into his personal account and wanting him to sign a form. In other words, an authorization allowing them to do so, which I assume is looking into his bank accounts, which is ridiculous. No, you cannot do that. And no, Henry, you should not allow them to do that. Uh, We see this happen 
now and again uh, when we have these questions. So Savon is 100% correct. Uh, the sale of a property, you know, it's not taxable. It's not income, employment income at least. These policies provide that certain offsets can be made and they're all relating back to employment income or something that you contributed to, to through your employment so that insurance can, can deduct it through a direct or an indirect offset. You know, a, a few weeks ago, uh, I remember that we had a similar question and it had to do with inheritance. Can inheritance be deducted? Again, no, it cannot. It has nothing to do with the insurance company. They do not have the right to offset it. We then add a further discussion about what is employment income. And I used an example for where if you were to sell property, right? If you did that as a business, if because that may be deemed to be employment income, or if you have some other hobby for which you actually are putting in effort, uh, where you do selling things, for example, and you're declaring it as a business income, employment income through your personal corporation or as a sole proprietorship. Something like that could then be considered potentially income. But the sale of a primary residence and the reason why you're selling it is because you need to downsize because you cannot afford it. And here comes the insurance company saying, oh, we want to offset that and we want to look into your personal accounts. Absolutely not. And if that were to happen, Sivan, 100%, we will fight that tooth and nail. I actually would love to get involved in a claim like that if there were to be a denial on that basis or if the insurance company actually tried to do anything like that. So I, I think you can sense our passion on this particular issue because you have David versus Goliath, and this is not something that should happen. It just shouldn't. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate Henry, and uh, again reaching out. You got the email, obviously one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Savannah, this next one I'm going to throw it to you. It's a lengthy one, but we'll uh, we'll get through it and discuss. This one comes from Vess, and Vess says, uh, "Guys, hello. After eighteen years on LT eighteen years on LTD, the insurance company decided to do a comprehensive review of my claim to decide if I continued to meet the definition." This review has been going on since April, but it began in January when they requested updated medical from my family doctor. My doctors and I have been very transparent and have provided them with everything they have requested in a timely manner. This is in addition to the regular medical information that they have received throughout the 18 years. There's a lot of turnover at this company. I'm on my third examiner in less than a year and the second since this in-depth review began in April. There have been very long periods of time when they have been unresponsive. My current examiner hasn't responded to me since July 8th, when she said my claim is only approved until the end of this month, not even to confirm receipt from my July specialist notes. This whole thing has been so stressful. On top of my already poor health, the panic over losing my income is very difficult. My question is, does the insurance company have any sort of duty to care to finish the review quickly, or can they drag it on indefinitely? This whole thing has been so stressful. On top of my already poor health, the panic over losing my income is very difficult. My question is, does the insurance company have any sort of duty to care to finish the review quickly, or can they drag it on indefinitely? What do I do if I don't get paid next month? It's unusual. It's usually the third Wednesday of the month, but I wasn't paid today. It seems so inhumane to keep this pressure and stress on me. I truly appreciate any thoughts you have on this. Again, that's from Vest. That is insane. It, it is insane. But, John, again, I mean, we, we are just not surprised anymore. Uh, Martin and I and the rest of the team, the kind of stuff that we see insurance companies do, 
I mean, talk about inhumane. It is inhumane. After 18 years being on LTD, uh, look, let's go back to basics here. Uh, insurance companies have a fiduciary duty to insureds. They have to treat, you know, treat them in a certain way. Uh, in, in, in a, they do have a duty of care. There's all these legal terms, but at the end of the day, it comes down to something very simple. Insurance companies, when they are selling you a product or your employer as part of the group uh, uh, health benefits plan, a product of long-term disability, they are selling peace of mind. That's what it comes down to. It's peace of mind. Where is the peace of mind here? After 18 years, that is insane. What has changed after 18 years? To me, it appears like, and this individual here, you know, hit the nail on the head in terms of the fact that there's been a lot of turnover on the company. It seems to me like someone on top has said, guys, we have to cut costs. You have to start looking at claims. You have to figure out who do we cut off? Who do we not? How can we make people's lives more miserable so that they themselves disengage from us and just walk away? Because remember, insurance companies, they understand, they know what the law is. They're just playing the odds that if they put enough barriers in place and make your life a living hell, that you're going to walk away from money that's owed to you. And so this individual here, rightly so, is extremely anxious. Look, after 18 years on LTD, it means the insurance company has for almost two decades, or at least for a year and a half, let's say, has agreed that you are disabled from working. You are, and frankly, whether or not you have a standard policy or a different policy, you're disabled from working from any occupation. And frankly, after 18 years, I can't see that person going back to work in any capacity. I just can't imagine that. I don't know how, the, how old that person is or what they do, but I can't imagine that person being, being able to go back to work. And so the question here is, what can be done with this insurance company? Can they drag this indefinitely? No, they can't. But the fact that they told you that your benefits are coming to an end, unless you're turning 65 and it's the end of the policy period, or you've done something that is, you know, you've lied to the insurance company, you're working on the side, which of course you haven't. You said that you and your doctor have been very forthright with the insurance company. This case, and Martin, you'll tell me what you think. This case, assuming that you're completely disabled, and this is how we see it, is ripe for not just a claim against the insurance company for the benefits you're owed, but for punitive damages to punish the insurance company for this kind of conduct. And let, let me remind our, our listeners, John, and we talked about this last week, there was a recent case that came out of Ontario where an insurance company, Blue Cross, was hit with a punitive damages award that punished them in the tone, uh, to, the to the tune of $1.5 million, in addition to what you know the insurance company had to pay them in the first place. So, so this is one of those cases where it's just egregious conduct based on what we've read here, what we've seen here. And, and I, I really, really want to get in touch with this person, talk to that person, get more details, and, and tell the insurance company, just let us after this insurance company. We're going to make them pay big time. Guys, we'll take a short break. Martin, I want your comments on this as well, but we got to uh, just pause briefly and come back to it. In the meantime, reaching out to the guys, no problem. The email address we always use every show, help at disabilityrights.ca, 1-855-821-5900 and free and anonymous. It's uh, small, quick notations about LTD, tons of questions answered right here. Simply go to ltdfaq.ca. We'll continue Disability Law Show. Stand by.
This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. All right, back Disability Law Show. A few minutes to go. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this hour. You can reach out if you have questions on your own to Martin or Savannah anytime. They always encourage you to email help at disabilityrights.ca. Another way to ask questions freely and anonymously with a searchable database to see if your question has been laid in there before, mydisabilityquestions.com. Use that anytime, mydisabilityquestions.com. And the good old-fashioned phone number, right, one 821 5,900. Uh, Martin, yeah, Vess here, 18 years on disability. Now he's getting uh, agita from the, uh, from the insurance company. Where do you, where do you, what do you think about this one? Well, the stress that Bess is experiencing is really, really, really unfortunate. And, you know, it, it is something that shouldn't happen. Like Savon says, unless there is something else that has radically changed, and what are the chances of that happening when somebody has been on disability for 18 years? Has there been a miraculous improvement? I seriously doubt it from reading what this email says. Uh, I have to be very careful what I'm going to say next because I've seen this before. Um, it it's remarkable to me that I've seen this exact circumstance before. And I think it was 18 years as well. And you don't see something like that too often, for me at least, that it is somebody who has been on claim for such a long period of time. And it was a similar circumstance where there's been a significant turnover in case managers. Uh, somebody very overzealous may become involved in the claim. Um, there may be some director from the top coming down. Look, we're going to need to look at these cases all over again, specifically people who've been on claim for such a long time. Uh, and then the direction of the case management changes entirely. And another thing that is lost here is when that happens, and this references this, when that happens, the new person gets involved after a turnover already. This is the third case manager for the year. They start to look at things that they become unresponsive. Uh, that creates stress. And, you know, if it's a mental health claim, obviously it's exacerbating the mental health because this person is now, after 18 years of receiving benefits, so stressed out because there's this sword hanging over the head that they may be losing their benefits. I mean, what is what a stressful situation that must be. And if it's not mental health, the stress of this may be aggravating whatever physical condition there is. So is this inhumane? There's a duty of care, yes, and Savon has already spoken about the fiduciary duty. You have to treat people in a proper manner. You have to be kind. You have to look at people living with mental health and deal with them and treat them in a specific way, not to aggravate them. And if a person has been on claim for 18 years, you can know that that is going to happen here. So I fully agree. If this happens, and if there is going to be a denial, this is a claim that will lend itself very likely to a finding of punitive damages because this is not the way that you treat disabled people. Simply not. In 18 years, it's a travesty. By the way, John, um, yeah. I agree 100% with everything Martin says. I'm just looking at the email again or the question that was posed, and what he's saying, which is interesting, is that the investigation, quote-unquote, or comprehensive mm -hmm. review, let's call it that, yeah. is ongoing since April of this year, and yet the adjuster said that his claim is only approved until the end of the month. How can that be the case? 
How can you not have a completed review, assuming one is even necessary, and at the same time saying, uh, say that the claim is only approved until the end of the month? I, I actually don't understand that. Either you conclude, make a conclusion that the benefits should end at the end of the month, or alternatively, you say, okay, we still have to continue with our review, but for the time being, we're going to continue paying you because we've been paying you for 18 years. Again, I keep coming back to the fact that just reading that uh, message without any other information, to me, this is a case that is ripe for a claim not only for the benefits this person is owed, but for punitive damages to punish this insurance company. And this is what people need to understand, that when we go after insurance companies, we're going to go after them for everything, not just for what is under the policy. But if we think that there is egregious conduct, if we think that the insurance company has treated someone extremely unfairly in a high-handed manner, I'm using words here, the judges have used in the past when describing how insurance companies, some of them have acted. We're going to go for a lot more than what the policy uh, contemplates in terms of benefits. We're going to try and punish the insurance company. We're going to do it on your behalf. The other thing to consider here, and again, John, you haven't uh, mentioned that, but we have talked about this before, that once we get involved, once you are cut off or denied, once we actually represent you, you are no longer dealing with the insurance company yourself. It is now us and the adjuster. You can just focus on trying to get better on, on, on your health, your mental health, your physical health. Just focus on yourself. The insurance company is no longer allowed to call you, to email you, to send you letters or faxes or anything like that. They have to come through us. And so we are now the ones applying pressure on the insurance company, not the other way around on you. Any uh, last-minute uh, thoughts, Martin, as we uh, we get to the end of the uh, the hour? What do you think, pal? People still have yeah. lots of trepidation with, uh, trepidation with dealing with an insurance company, right? You know what? They do. And then sometimes people are afraid of then speaking to a lawyer as well. And that's part right. of what we're doing here today is don't be afraid. We offer these free consultations, right? We, we can have a discussion with you. We can review the contract. We can review the denial letter. We can review the medical information. And we'll tell you what your options are. If we think that there's something that can be done, we will tell you. And if there isn't, we will say that too. But then you at least can make a decision as to move forward. And something that I hear so often from people is, the reason why I've decided to uh, retain your services to hire you is because of what Savan said. I don't want to deal with these people anymore. I don't want to get phone calls or emails or letters from the insurance company because of mere fact of seeing call display that is coming from the insurance company sends my anxiety through the roof. And we take that away. We deal with the insurance company. We are the buffer. Everything comes through us. You do not need to worry about dealing with them. And again, we offer free consultations. So at least pick up the phone and have that discussion. And then you can decide how you want to proceed. Guys, some really good stuff on the show again today. Thank you so much for your contributions on email. If you uh, caught your email on the show today, if not, you have a chance to get yours on in a future show. Simply send it along, help at disabilityrights.ca. The other place to ask questions through your keyboard or phone is mydisabilityquestions.com. And then finally, pick up a phone, have that chat with uh, Sivan or Martin or a member of their team. No problem talking to you just to get your bearings and more information. Due diligence, right? It's one 855 821 5900, and we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.